Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. If you're joining us uh, for the first time, or if you're new, or you just don't go to church all that often, you're joining us kind of in the middle of a series that we're calling Death, Burial, Resurrection. And the past couple of weeks, we've just looked at why did Jesus go to the cross? What did he actually accomplish there? Last week, we did a pretty deep dive into what happened after he died on the cross. And we looked at a lot of scripture. Believe it or not, we might have more this week. Y'all okay with that? I feel like it went pretty well. I had a lot of people respond and say how much, you know, they really connected with the emotional aspect of seeing the suffering of the Messiah in the grave. If you didn't catch that, um, it's a really interesting facet of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in that on the cross. So let's just look at that here. This is, you know, this particular series is, uh, anchored in this passage here, 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Say, I am righteous, I am righteous. In, him. in him. Now, depending on how religious you are, you just cringed a little. Or you're like, oh, thank you. Yes, thank you. There's some seats over here. I'll seat you. I'll play usher today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, and, and that's kind of a heart exercise that you can do to work through to locate what do I really believe about myself, my identity in Christ? Can you say, I am righteous? Like when you say that, where does your mind go? Do you think about your behavior or do you think about your position in Christ because of the work that he did, right? And so then from there, yes, of course, that identity, that spirit within you, that righteous capacity within you will empower behavior that is pleasing to the Lord. But religion gets it backwards. Religion tries to work from the inside out and get you cleaned up in your behavior. Then you'll be pleasing to God. Then you'll be acceptable to God. Then you'll be fit for the master's use or whatever the language is, right? And it's like, no, it's, it's, that's backwards. That's completely backwards because what he did is he completed the work in you first, and so he made you brand new in your spirit because of this right here. Jesus became like you so you could become like him. In your spirit, in that eternal aspect of who you are, you are already complete in him. Amen? And it's such good news. And so Christianity is then the pursuit to lay aside the old man in your thinking because that's the only place it exists any longer. It doesn't exist in your nature. Now, here, here's what is interesting is that your brain, you don't get a new brain. You get a new spirit, you get a new heart. And those are kind of spiritual matters and aspects of you. But you don't get a new brain. You don't get a new body. You don't get new neurochemistry immediately. You don't get new psychological triggers. You can. A lot of times people get healed instantly, soulishly and emotionally when they become born again or praying through a particular matter. So it's difficult to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am holy. I am changed. I genuinely am a new creation. If you're looking at yourself and evaluating your identity based on your behavior, I'm going to pause for a minute. You can turn those side lights on, by the way, just so we can shed a little light. It looked dark in here all of a sudden. There we go. You might have to click them on and off. Our, they, woo, they worked really well that time. Uh, so that's the problem with not, with not understanding the finished work of the cross related to your identity is that you look at yourself based on your behavior. And the church and the external Christian world looks at you based on your behavior. Behavior matters. Fruit in your life does matter. Sin is still significant. It still brings death. But if you want to live from the hope of overcoming that and living in the power of this spirit that is actually inside of you now, you have to renew your mind of who you are in him. And that's what this place is all about. We are a mind renewal community to constantly remind you of who you are in Christ. 
Because when you start to believe that you are one of his sheep, you will hear him and you will follow him and you will obey him. Amen? I want to convince you of your sheephood in Christ. I want to convince you of your adoption in him, of your marriage to him. And then the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. Amen? So today, this is the big idea that we're looking at today. And I just love this concept. This is Romans 8, 34. Who is there to condemn us? For Christ Jesus, who died, and more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he is interceding for us. So in this selection here, which we're going to read more of it at the end of this particular message, but it's kind of like, so who's going to condemn you? You mean the guy that died for you? Are you telling me that's who's going to condemn you? You tell me the guy that set you free from sin and death, the guy that died on the cross for you, that's the one that's also trying to condemn you? No, I don't think so. He's the one that's trying to bring life to you. And this idea at the end here that he is interceding for us. He is at the right hand of God as he is interceding for us. And so I just want you to connect with that just for a moment. Just think about that. If you use your imagination as part of your faith, as part of your relationship with the Lord, you know, I think he gave us an imagination for a reason. Use it for, you know, as, as a friend of mine says, we got, a, we got a sanctified imagination. Sanctify your imagination. Get that junk out of there and use it to create this emotional connection with the Lord rooted in Scripture. Not just trying to have mystical, phenomenal experiences, but you're looking at Scripture and hoping it evokes emotion in you and further roots the reality of what he's done for you in you. Are you with me? I want you to have an emotional response to the Word of God because it's, it touches you. It shows you your worth and it shows you your value to him. And, and last week we walked through several passages that did that. This week we want to walk through several passages, and I, and I kind of just want to let the Bible do the teaching again I mean, I'll interject and say a few things, but just kind of imagine this. Imagine we are citizens of heaven because you are. And it doesn't have to be mystical. It's just, no, that's where I belong. That's where I belong. My citizenship is of heaven. I'm temporarily in this world, but that is my eternal place. Jesus went before us and is making a place for us so we can be with him. Amen? That's the reality of who you are. And that's how you overcome the issues of this world, not detaching and living in denial, but realizing there's a greater truth, there's a greater reality, bigger than anything that you might face in this earth. So we're kind of putting ourselves in heaven today as we walk through this together. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you. What's he praying? How's he praying? What is the ministry of Jesus on your behalf daily? moment by moment, because it's a reality. And that's what we're going to do. We're actually going to read through several passages, mostly through Hebrews. It might feel like we're reading the entire book of Hebrews. <laughs> Philip back there, he was like, should I just copy all of Hebrews in here? But, and, then, and then I showed Glenn. He's like, oh my gosh, it takes me five hours to go through. But it's going to be all right. We'll get there. We're just going to read straight through, I think. But to set the stage, this is what we're talking about. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sin. Say, I'm dead to sin. sin. Now, sometimes that's hard to say, especially if you got your pet sin that you're still dragging around. I don't I wasn't dead to sin last night. I'm just going to keep looking over here. If you, you know what I'm saying. I mean, let's be real. But, that, but see, that's the difference between who you are, your old man, your physicality, your carnality, and who you are in spirit. Yes, you need to overcome sin in your body. I mean, here's my thought about sin. Stop it. It's killing you. It's not a good witness in your life to the testimony of what Christ has done for you. Stop. If it were that easy, right? <laughs> thankful, thankful for his grace. Uh, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his stripes you are healed, spirit, soul, and body. And so then we talk about why the cross, why the blood. Why is there no remission of sin without the shedding of blood? blood? And this gives us the insight. This is Leviticus 17, 11. Uh, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, 
and I have given it to you to make atonement for your souls upon the altar. See, Christ has made atonement even for your soul. Yes, your spirit. Yes, to redeem you and give you eternal life that you can live in eternity, but even for your soul. There is atonement for your soul. There is healing and peace and rest for your soul. You can look and identify with the suffering that he went through on that cross for you, and it will generate a sense of peace within you that you can live from. And it's not just an idea. I think there's an energetic to the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I use the same kind of illustrations all the time, but it's like if you want to feel good, eat bananas and broccoli and vegetables and healthy things. Drink more water. You want to feel bad, eat cookies and ho-hos and ding-dongs, right? <laughs> I mean, which one do you want? I know what we want, but man, those cookies sure do taste good, don't they? Sarah brought some cookies home from the beach and they disappeared instantly. Um, all right, let's keep going. So God made him like us, so uh, we should say we, so we, sh so we could be made like him. All right, you ready? Now, uh, Philip, I'm actually just going to have you follow me through here um, if you want to get that squared away. So what, what I want to do is walk through Hebrews, and we're looking specifically at the storyline of the ministry of Jesus. Okay, There's, Hebrews has a lot to say. There's a lot uh, covered in Hebrews. I went through and I selected lots of different passages that specifically address what's he doing now? What, what do we mean to him? How is he ministering to us? What is, what is he doing in the heavenlies, right? Because to set that up, well, we'll read it. So if you want to go ahead and put up uh, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, and I'm going to ask you just to follow me through. You good with that? Get a thumbs up back there? All right. Give me just a second here. I'm going to jump over to my notes so I can read a little bit easier here, and then we'll get going. You can go ahead and start with uh, Hebrews 2, 9. So remember, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father praying for you. He is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We're going to look at the concept of him fulfilling his royal, eternal, priestly duties in the heavenlies on our behalf. Hebrews gives a beautiful picture of juxtaposing the old covenant priesthood role versus the new covenant eternal spiritual priesthood of Christ. So that's what we're looking like. Christ has a ministry on your behalf. And it's a beautiful thing. So here we go. Ready? Say, I'm ready. All right. Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Aren't you thankful? Jump to 14. Uh, so, inasmuch then, and now you get, there's so much answered about why things transpired the way that they did. That's one of the things I want to accomplish today is give you deeper understanding of why Jesus had to come and suffer and die on the cross, pass through the grave, ascend into heaven with his own blood, and then what is he doing now post-resurrection? So, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same. So you see this idea of exchange happening. That through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those, say, I'm released from the power of the enemy. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren. That is so powerful. That means so much to me. He knows what it's like to be you. You see it right there. Uh, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So in other words, because he became like you, he understands what it's like you, he can empathize with what you're going through. He's not this cold, sterile, judgmental, distant God with an impossible standard daring you to cross the line or else. He became like you. He knows what you're going through. 
uh, 18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Then 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You ever feel weak? Think about this. Remember, Jesus is praying right now. He's at the right hand of God. He's praying for you. This is the heart from which he's praying. Do you see him there? In this moment, that's where he is. He can sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now that qualified him to be our sacrifice. In other words, that qualified living sinlessly, perfectly under the law, fulfilling it on our behalf, also qualified for him to be the spotless lamb that could then take upon himself your sin and the penalty and the full effects of your sin and death. So verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. You don't have to go to God sheepishly in, under this false humility, trying to convince God of how sorry you are for your sin. I mean, yes, we should be repentant. There is an aspect of sorrow towards sin, but he's not interested in you trying to come to him and say, I'm worthless, I'm not anything. And he's like, no, you're worth the blood of my son. Are you kidding me? Come boldly into my presence, not arrogantly, not self-righteously, but boldly competent in Christ because that's where you belong, uh, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, performance-centered, toxic religion would have you say, yes, God's just close on the brink of punishing you. I was talking to somebody this morning. They said they appreciate being encouraged in this place. You know, I don't want to be, I don't, I don't want to preach permissiveness. And I think if you hear wrongly, you'll hear that. But I want to preach the capacity for you to actually live above the power of sin. To live in a place where you're not afraid of God. Where you actually go to Him and experience a real help in time of need. That's a real thing. Those aren't just ideas that are distant or just written in Scripture. That is a lifestyle that we can adopt. So Hebrews 5.1, uh, and then we get into kind of a description so that we understand the capacity of the priest, uh, spe specifically the high priest. Uh, Hebrews 5.1, For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. Uh, he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself also is also subject to, wit to weakness. Now, that's the old covenant uh, brought out of manhood. So verse 3, because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. Jump down to 7.11. And again, we're just following the storyline of the ministry of the Messiah as our high priest. Therefore, if protection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of law. Say change of law. Change of law. Uh oh. This is, this is what gets you in trouble. Is what gets us in trouble. And when I say trouble, I mean judged. <laughs> Thinking that we're this fancy term antinomial, in other words, throwing out the old. We're not throwing out the old. We put it in its proper place, and that is fulfilled. Say fulfilled. fulfilled. It's holy. It's pure. What the law does is it shows you that you need Jesus. I mean, it's a great witness and testimony of the need for the Messiah, isn't it? But in no way can you keep it and be made righteous. It's a mirror to show you, yeah, in your effort, no, in Jesus alone. Amen. And the high priest orchestrated sacrifices along the way, temporary, that only lasted a period of time to keep you in the good graces of God, to keep you free from judgment and penalty and punishment. And unfortunately, most churches will still teach you that that's kind of the scenario that you're in with God. In other words, if you miss it, 
you backslide, you make a mistake, you sin, you fall out of the grace of God. Some even teach that you lose your salvation. You got to come down and get born again, again, and again, and again, and again. I mean, I, I love the church, but what breaks my heart is this morning in a lot of places, people are going to show up to church and they're, going, they're not going to be rooted in confidence in the finished work of Jesus. They're going to be made to think that their behavior leads them to be disconnected from God and therefore they need to do some type of exercise to get back connected with Him. That is garbage. You are one with Him. Now, can you give away your salvation? Maybe. But you can't perform your way out of it because you didn't perform your way into it. It's a gift. Then we jump down to 23. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer sacrifices." Your repentance to God is not your continual offering of a sacrifice to God for forgiveness. You are forgiven in Him because of the sacrifice of Christ. Now, should we repent? Absolutely. Should you go to Him and confess your sin? Absolutely. What then happens is, is it engages the Spirit is within you and it helps you experience the forgiveness that's already available in Christ. There is a living aspect of a repentant lifestyle before the Lord, but you stand forgiven. You don't become unforgiven by God when you mess it, when you mess up, mess up. You are, say, I am forgiven forever. That kind of makes me think that I can just go sin. Well, let's talk if that's your response. Because that's not what it does. Does that make you want to run out and sin? Makes you want to protect what he's done within you, right? What verse were we on? Uh, to offer up sacrifices for first his own sins and then for the people's. Uh, for this he did once for all when he offered up himself. He offered up himself for your sin. Verse 28, for the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses... But the word of the oath, which came after the law, appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. That's your high priest. That's who represents you. That's who's the one in charge of offering sacrifices on your behalf, and he offered himself. What I want you to walk away with today is your, your firm foundation in Christ. Amen? It's kind of gospel 101. But you need to remember this next week when you're struggling with that thing again and again and again. And you renew your mind and you remind yourself, no, no, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm good with God. He's not mad at me. I'm accepted by Him because of Christ. Therefore, that removes my fear of Him and I can go to Him boldly to get help. My dad is for me. He's not distant from me, wanting to keep himself from me, disappointed I mean, he, not, he might not be happy that you continue in that thing, but he's not wanting to stiff arm you until you get it right. That's just so much of what we're taught. It's not taught directly, but it's taught indirectly. And most people feel that way about their Christianity. Verse 8, or, or chapter 8. Uh, now, this is the main point of the things that we're saying. Don't you appreciate the written word? It's like, all right, here's the point. This is the point. Pay attention. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if we were... Uh, for if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, 
who served the copy of shadows of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle where he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Pattern of what? Pattern of this heavenly holy of holies where Jesus is a priest. Uh, verse 6, But now has obtained a more excellent ministry insomuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant. Say better covenant. Based on better promises. Say better promises. Verse 7, for if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Skip to 13. And in that he says, a new covenant, which he has made the first obsolete, uh, now is becoming obsolete and is growing old and ready to vanish away. And that this was written a couple thousand years ago. Uh, chapter 9, verse 11, but Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. You can leave it on that for a minute. Um, well, actually, let's keep going. Verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Leave it on that one, if you would, verse 12. Etern say eternal redemption. <laughs> now, remember, and I didn't put it in my notes here, but if you're familiar with the story, after the resurrection, Mary goes to the tomb, recognizes that it's open. She's upset, and then all of a sudden, Mary. She hears his voice, and he presents himself to her. But he says, don't touch me. I have not yet ascended to the Father. That is a clue into what he's doing. That's a clue into the one time a year, Day of Atonement, sacrifice where the high priest would bring the offering. Every other time you would bring the offering, the high priest would bring the offering, and that was the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur sacrifice, that the priest provided the sacrifice, and that was an atoning sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel uh, for a whole year. And in that time, in tradition, it says that the high priest, because all the people were there, it wasn't just one time and one person and one person, the whole nation, you're talking millions of people here around participating in this, when the high priest committed the sacrifice would take the blood and they say that he would carry it in this, uh, in a cone type of thing to, and swirl it to keep the blood living to then go into the inner room to sprinkle all the furniture and everything that was there, and then to go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was that represented the presence of God and sprinkle that, sac that blood on that place. Jesus did that in the heavenly Holy of Holies with His own blood. It's, it's fascinating to me that that happened. But what that is is human blood in the very direct, most holy presence of God. And it's there as your testimony of your righteousness before the Father. A human took his blood into that place. It's almost like a portal. It's like a gateway. It's a door through which we enter into the presence of God, right? Any Trekkies out there? You know, what do you call the thing where they're like, beam me up, Scotty, boop, boop. Transporter. It was a real fancy name. I'm more of a Star Wars guy, really, so, but, uh, but it's like that. It's like you go through that blood into the presence of God, right? That is there, and, I, and I've said it, that it's the most phenomenal aspect of the resurrection of Christ to me is that he took his own blood as a representation of your legal right to be in the presence of God. And when I get there, I want to see it. I want to go to that place. Whatever that, because it says clearly that what was created on the earth as a type and shadow was a representation of the real thing, which is in heaven. The blood of Christ is there sprinkled as a sacrifice to, yes, cleanse that place. The enemy was there to take, to come into the presence of God, to uh, accuse men. And I think when Jesus went into that place with his blood, he kicked the enemy out of that place. The enemy no longer has access to the presence of God to accuse you to him.
So stop accusing yourself. Stop letting your behavior disqualify you from going to talk to, to your dad when you need help the most. He's there, and it's real, and he wants to help you, and his spirit's alive and active. Let down your guard. You can trust him. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats, of bulls and goats, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Guilt free, no more shame. No more disqualification of yourself before the presence of God because he's cleansed even your conscience. Not to continue in sin, but to live free from its power. Verse 23, therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the, hev uh, um, yeah, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered in the holy places with made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And he's there now. And it's not the scenario where God is angry, just waiting to kill you or make your life difficult, and Jesus is like, no, Daddy, don't do it. Don't hurt them. No, they're of the same mind towards you. It's just that Jesus is that human element through which they emanate into the hearts of humans. Are you with me? That's your legal right into the presence of God is what Christ did. All of this that he did. And to me, it's so profound. Are you getting something out of this? I mean, it's easy to just read through Hebrews, but you put it in this context and it's incredibly powerful to me. Uh, not that he should offer himself often, and this is, this is incredible, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another. So in other words, he's different. He's a different kind of high priest. He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself and is appointed for men uh, to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once, say once, to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So when he comes back, it's going to be a joyful thing. It's to bring salvation, not judgment of your sin. Now, you know, there is a final judgment. There is an end time period and whatever that looks like and where everybody goes before him. But if you have him, if his spirit is in you, if you said yes to Jesus, it is a time of rejoicing. It is not a fearful time. There is a judgment seat of Christ for believers, but we're told that that's for reward's sake. You will never, ever again be judged to determine whether or not you're righteous or qualified to be accepted by God. He did it one time, and because the one time was sufficient throughout eternity, he doesn't have to continue to crawl up on that cross and die again. That's just, it's important that you understand that in repentance. Not, repentance is not recapturing your righteousness. It's not regaining your standing with God. It's just a cleansing of the junk that you've allowed to come in even though you're still connected to him and one with him and accepted by him. Do you see the difference? All right, so then we jump to 10. Previously saying, sacrifice. I told you it was a lot. We good? good? All right. Previously, the kids are having a blast back there, so, you know, just let them do their thing. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burn offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, had no pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. O God, he takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Second what? Covenant. Which he upholds it, and you're in him. By that will, we have been sanctified. Say, I am sanctified. Through the offering of the body of Jesus once for all. Verse 14 for by one offering he has perfected forever. Say, I'm perfect forever. 
I just like watching the faces. Nobody's freaking out on that one. And again, you have to know that we're talking about who you are in spirit, who you are in your eternal identity, because in your worldly body, you're not perfect. You still miss it all the time, right? All, every day, all day, we probably are in some kind of sin to see uh, something that needs to be done and then you don't do it, a good that should be done and you don't, that's sin. Anything not of faith is sin, right? I mean, how often do you do stuff that's not of faith? Every day. Does that make you a sinner by nature? No, but it doesn't affect your standing before Him. God is not relating to you based on that any longer, which to me, if I know that I'm okay with somebody and that person is not going to judge me or look down upon me, that's the person that I feel the safest with. Are you with me? That's the person that I know I can trust. Like, look, I can go to this person and admit to them what's going on here because I know they're not going to turn their back on me. They're not going to throw me away. They, they might not like what I'm doing, but I can trust them and they're going to help me because they love me and they care about me and they want to preserve this connection that we have. That's the kind of relationship that we're in. Now, you probably know this, but your friends and family don't. There are people that are sick and tired of church that don't ever want to step foot in church again because they have not been given this gospel. They don't want to have anything to do with church and Christians. They love God. They believe in God. They believe the Bible is, you know, His revealed and inspired word, but they don't want to have anything to do with church. You ever been there? Well, I'm glad you're here. But there, and, I'm, and the goal is not to get people to church. The goal is to get the gospel to people. And then if you want to bring them, bring them. We'll still build them up in who they are in Christ. But, but that's, the body needs to be properly representing what Jesus did. And it's rooted in this. By one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. You can leave it on 14 for a second. Now, there's some kind of, you got to do a little bit deeper exegesis and kind of original study in this particular passage here because there is a popular doctrine that says sanctification is progressive. In other words, meaning you kind of get partially sanctified, but you have to continue to live a certain way to become more sanctified, to become more acceptable to God. Now, the, what this is actually saying is in the original Greek, because this is the New Testament written in uh, Greek, we look at the, the um, verb tenses. We have past, present, future. I think they have like nine. So for them, there's a past tense that it's, it happened back then and it's in the past. There's also a past tense that says it happened back then, but it's still having an effect today. So in other words, it's like ringing a bell and that bell still making a sound throughout eternity. That is what it's talking about, being sanctified. The verb tense is that you have been sanctified and are continuing to be sanctified. The Spirit of the living God is continually working within you to enforce the sanctification that the blood of Christ wrought in your spirit. Are you with me? And that sanctification is yielded to into your soul and body and behavior and thoughts, not to become more sanctified before God, but to experience more of the effects that are already complete in your spirit. That makes sense? All right, so let's keep going. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after He had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. See, you no longer are obedient to God based on rules written in stone externally that you keep those rules. God changed you inwardly. You know how to follow Him. You are a sheep. You have a written moral code within you. You know the right thing to do inside. Now, you don't always do it because in your brain and in your thinking, you still are associating your identity with your former person. But the more you become convinced of who you are in Him, the more you will naturally, obediently follow God from the heart where He's written, this is how you obey me inwardly. Do you see that? There's so much about the heart, but I'm going to keep on going. And in their minds will I write them. Then He adds, their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. He's not holding your sins against you. Now, some people will say, God doesn't even see my sin. 
Well, that's not correct. He does. Because he, it'll still bring death into your life, a premature death, whether or not you keep the law. And we, and I will, but what, it, what needs to happen is when you're tempted, when you're struggling, that's a reality to you so that you choose grace rather than giving in to the temptation and then needing forgiveness, needing to experience this forgiveness afterward. Are you with me? Like the next time you're tempted, I want you to remember this so you don't have to go through that mess. Grace in you is more powerful than sin. And he's not holding it against you. Now, where there is remission uh, of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What is that joy? What is the joy set before him that he endured the cross? Yeah, raise your hand, point your finger, and point at your nose. I'm the joy. That's me. Yeah, I'm the joy. I know it's a lot, but I want to get it out there because I just want you to see it so, so that your homework can be go read Hebrews this week and just see the beauty of what he's doing for you and on your behalf, what he did and what he's continuing to do. Uh, despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God for consider him. Like, if you could just make that a principle in your life, consider him. We, we had a really powerful equip gathering this past Wednesday. Lyle shared a really awesome word. I'm having trouble downloading the video and getting it clipped out, but what you shared, we're going to get up so everybody can see it. Several of you guys shared awesome testimonies. Um, you can actually go back and watch it in our Facebook group if you're in that. If you're not in it, you can request. We'll put you in there. Uh, but just this idea of acknowledging him. You know, oftentimes when we pray, we feel like we're supposed to focus on one thing. And that is a form. You can pick an idea and topic and focus on it. But your mind wanders, doesn't it? And so what we did Wednesday was we practiced, the, practiced uh, acknowledging him. And then your mind's going to wander. But when you notice, when you become conscious of your thoughts again, just acknowledge him. Because a lot of times in your wandering thoughts, you'll go to places that you need to think through with him. So like your, thought, your thoughts will go to places where you need to acknowledge him and work that thing out. Oftentimes, we don't want our thoughts. We, we, like, we do, it's like, oh, I don't want to think about that. No, go there. But just bring him into the middle of it because he's right there with you, wanting, to, wanting you to consider him because there's a better way through that thing with him. Amen? Um. I keep getting lost because there's so many. What are we? 12.3. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You ever become weary, discouraged, depressed, overwhelmed? Consider him. It's not magic, but consider him. Consider what he's done for you. Consider the freedom that he's brought to you. Consider the fact that you are accepted through his sacrifice and God is standing there looking at you, desiring to help you in anything. It doesn't mean everything's going to magically work out, life's going to be perfect and nothing bad ever happens. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to argue here. But in him, you can overcome anything. And in, 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 a, in, a, in a ministry scenario, if you, you are called into something, that even you lose your life over the persecution of taking the gospel into that place. You can consider him the whole way. You know, there's a powerful story of Stephen in Scripture being stoned, and, you know, he, he sees Jesus on the cross on, on, in heaven when he's being stoned. It's, it's incredible. So, Rome, and then now this is the last section. We made it. <laughs> but it's a pretty long one. This is Romans 8. And I just want you to leave with this on your heart, thankful of this priesthood that Jesus has for you. He's in that heavenly place right now praying for you. He's enforcing the finished work that he completed for you. He's continuing to invite you into this forgiveness that he has for you. He's not seeking to judge you or hold your sin against you. He is for you. God is for you. Say, God is for me. And so Romans 8, beginning in verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us?
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? Like, is it, it the, you, tell, you tell me the one that's going to condemn you? You're talking about the one that justified you? Is that the one that's going to condemn you? You see how he's asking the question? Verse 34, who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died? No, you can trust him. This is kind of like Jesus saying about God, if you ask him for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. He's not going to give you snakes. He's characterizing, he's framing the character of God here. This is the God, this is the character and the perspective of God the world needs to see. This aspect of who God is. Those of you that weren't raised in this and you're breaking this religious programming and have been afraid of God for a long time, you know what I'm talking about. There are people out there that don't know this aspect of who God is. Yes, He's a righteous judge. Of course, all that. We don't, we don't negate all of that. But every facet of God that the religious, and I'm not just religious, I'm not trying to be unfair, but every contradiction or every rebuttal that somebody will bring up when you start preaching a good God is covered in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Yes, of course He's a righteous God. Yes, of course He was angry with the wicked. Yes, of course sin must be punished, but it all was dealt with on the cross. It's the most basic aspect of the message of Christianity, but most Christians don't know it. Am I telling you the truth? Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died? Who, the guy that was condemned for you and died for you, that's the one that's going to condemn you? Well, that doesn't make sense. And furthermore, is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us or prays for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written... For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Say, I'm more than a conqueror. Now this is the work that you need to do on your own mind and heart so that you can confidently say this verse also. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus became like you so you could become like Him. And in being like Him, you have eternal redemption in Him. You are in good standing with the Father. Amen? Now, uh, you, I'm sure you guys are convinced of that, but it's time that the church actually represent the gospel. Don't you think so? It, I think it's time for the church to actually represent and, and let people know what he accomplished. That's how people... You know... And you see this question a lot. People will do man-on-the-street type interviews, and it's like, well, uh, what do you think about Christianity? Well, no, 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 I don't believe, no, 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 it's hard to fetch. What do you think about Christians? Well, a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. What do you think about Jesus? Well, he's pretty cool. I mean, that's kind of the general consensus, right? May the body look like the head. May those of us that have the same father as our Lord Jesus Christ, represent God accurately in light of what Jesus did for us, orchestrated by God. That's our, that's our, that's our pursuit. Not just to let people off the hook, but go to people and say, don't you know how much God loves you? And let me show you how deeply He loves you. He exchanged every aspect of your failure and shortcomings to set you free from it, to break the power of sin and death in your life so you can live free. 
in this earth because that's what God wants. If you want to see the will of God, you look at the garden before the fall. God made it and it was perfect. You look at after the resurrection and the restoration of all things in heaven, eternal heaven, that's the will of God. And then you look at Jesus in the middle who went about doing good and healing all. Represent, he was the exact representation of the invisible God. He went around healing people, forgiving people, showing love and kindness and compassion and being hard on legalists that were making it difficult to relate to God. That's where you see the will of God. Everything else is commingled with mankind's dominion over this planet. Sickness, disease, war, calamity, injustice, debt, sorrow, pain. All of that's effect of mankind's impact on the earth, not God's. You see it. When God has His way, it's perfection for humanity, right? Before the cross, I mean before sin, at the end, and in the middle. That's what God wants. That's who God is. We are called to change the way people see God, framing Him in the light of what Jesus did, the links to which He went through to have us in His life. And we're not going to stop. We're going to keep believing. We're going to keep preaching it. We're going to keep moving in that direction because I know it's beneficial for you, but I want to empower and equip you to go out there and bring people into the understanding of God's love for them and the finished work of the cross. Amen? Yeah. You guys want to do that? Yeah. Let's just keep doing it. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. His Spirit's with us. His Spirit's helping us. And along the way, we have this incredible power to help people. Let's commit to that. Amen? Stand up with me if you would. Just keep your attention on Him. Father, we thank You. Just, just get a picture of Jesus in heaven as your high priest, and He's praying for you. What is He praying for you? I think He would be reminding you, I am your wisdom. I am your sanctification. I am your redemption. You were dead, but in me you live. I am for you, and I am not against you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I am not holding your sin against you. I love you. I sanctified you so I could put my spirit in you and live eternally with you. Now let's go and show the world how good I am. I believe that's what he would say. Amen.